Hi there, it's Julia Louis-Dreyfus. You may know me from my podcast called Wiser Than Me, where I talk to older women and get their wisdom from the front lines of life. I was amazed by how many people told me our show made them look forward to getting older, which is why I'm here to talk about season two of the show. Sally Field, Billie Jean King, Beverly Johnson, Ina Garten, Bonnie Ray, just to name a few. All hail old women. Wiser Than Me season two is out now from Lemonada Media. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. This is the John Fugelsang Podcast. Good evening and welcome. This is Progress After Dark. We have a lot we got to get to tonight. The Supreme Court ruled against this case with the independent state legislature theory, which the right wing politicians love so much. It was a huge victory for basic voting rights. Senate report on January 6th shows that federal law enforcement agencies had good intel, but failed to properly piece together the threat of violence on Capitol Hill. Sarah McBride is going to run for a House seat in Delaware in a bid to become the first openly transgender member of Congress. And what's going on in Russia? Nobody knows. We got a great one tonight. Some of our favorite guests will be with us. Dr. Tracy Pearson joins us for another edition of Tracy Explains. And David Newert will join us in the next hour. He is the author of The Age of Insurrection, The Radical Rights Assault on American Democracy. It's a book about how January 6th began long before January 6th. And it's still going on. A dynamite read. I'm so happy about all of our guests tonight. Chris Hauselt. Our executive producer running this thing from South Carolina, the great Thea Harper, runs the show from Brooklyn. I come to you from Manhattan. We're really glad to have you with us. Thank you for all the nice comments about last night's show. If you missed hearing Stuart Copeland, you can always hear it on the app, on uh, SiriusXM On Demand, or on the John Fugelsang podcast. And give us a good review and all that stuff. Uh, Really a thrill to have the police drummer to talk about his insane new album of orchestrations for police songs. All right. I think we're all cleared away. We're ready to start. Can we begin this thing? Because it's Two-Face Tuesday. Let's do a show. And welcome to Two-Face Tuesday. There's so much we have to get to in talking about what happened today. And it's pretty exciting. First off, we had, well, the adventures of our Congress. Okay, so here's the deal. Yesterday, we were talking about Joe Biden's $1.2 trillion infrastructure bill. And yesterday we were discussing how Biden is just getting underway with hundreds of billions already awarded for projects around the country. America's crumbling infrastructure is not only being repaired, it's being expanded, it's being improved. A lot of these jobs are good paying union jobs. And as we highlighted on the show yesterday, millions of Americans and small businesses still don't have high speed Internet. So, you know, we were praising this White House for allocating billions to help rural businesses finally get broadband, comparing it to rural electrification under FDR in the 20th century. It's the BEAD program, the Broadband Equity Access and Deployment Program. And this is the largest single investment in high speed Internet 
in history. It's already under the Affordable Connectivity Program, helping 19 million families save on monthly Internet bills. And Joe Biden's just giving out over 40 billion to all 50 states to spread access to even more people so rural voters can learn that Joe Biden is a dementia patient, pedophile and socialist mastermind who can't find his pants all at the same time. I, I but friend of the show, former Senator Doug Jones was all over this yesterday. And he had a prediction on Twitter when it was announced that Alabama was getting $1.4 billion from this White House to help with their Wi-Fi. Senator Jones tweeted, that's right, $1.4 billion. But not a single Republican member of the Alabama delegation voted for this legislation. To my knowledge, not a single Republican state leader expressed support either. But I bet they'll damn sure take credit when it's installed. Every Alabama Republican voted against Joe Biden's infrastructure plan, which is now going to bring broadband to all rural parts of America. Broadband is vital for rural communities to finally thrive and come into the 21st century. It's good for everyone's economy. It helps all of us. I don't know anybody on the left who's not happy to see Alabama get crucial funds to help their broadband efforts. So that brings up Tommy Tuberville. (laughs) He is, of course, the senator from the state of Alabama, and he put up a big tweet today bragging all about it, saying how great it was that we are getting all this money and it's going to help our rural communities. But he never said, uh, in spite of my no vote. You know, Tommy Tuberville's got a tough job. He's holding up all these military promotions because he hates the idea of women in the armed forces having rights. But he voted against the infrastructure bill. He voted against the people of his state of Alabama getting billions to expand broadband. And now he's acting like he supported it. He voted against it. He knows he did. Now he's taking credit for it. Alabama. (laughs) I don't need to tell you this if you're listening to a channel like this, but Tommy Tuberville does nothing for you. A typical Republican does none of the work. Complaining about the Democrats spending too much money opposing anything helpful to non-millionaires and then act like he was always in support and expect to get credit for it from the voters in his state. I give you exhibit two, John Cornyn. He tweeted earlier today, Texas to receive $3.3 billion in federal funds to boost broadband expansion efforts. And he's right, $3.3 billion to make sure that the poorest residents of Texas can now have broadband and read the lies of the Republican Party about the president who gave him broadband. Do these guys understand how embarrassing it looks to grown-ups when they try to take credit for things that they, they completely bashed during the legislative process, that they completely voted against, and now take credit for? These crucial federal funds from the president they despise, that they opposed, until the money comes through and starts improving lives, and they want to present the illusion of having done something for non-millionaires. The problem is they're Republicans. Republicans don't do things for non-millionaires. They do things for millionaires, and then they pretend that it somehow helps the non-millionaires as well. But wait, there's more. Again, this this is Two-Face Tuesday, so it's one thing to be a senator who opposed the infrastructure and is now taking credit for it. But we can't talk about Two-Face without talking about Speaker of the House, Kevin McCarthy. Can we do this really quick? Um, Because McCarthy is now threatening impeachment for Attorney General Merrick Garland over Hunter Biden. What? I know, right? He's now saying 
that they could seek to impeach Merrick Garland if a new IRS whistleblower claim about Hunter Biden uh, pans out. In other words, Hunter Biden was pretty much cleared last week. He pled guilty on a tax case for the first time in history. Republicans cared about someone not paying their taxes and uh, unregulated ownership of a firearm. But now this whistleblower is alleging that Merrick Garland made statements that contradicted the Delaware attorney. But McCarthy is threatening to impeach the attorney general. He doesn't mean it. He'll never do it. And again, this is the guy who's turning a blind eye to George Santos sitting next to him in the cafeteria every day. It's a two-faced Tuesday with Kevin McCarthy. But wait, wait, wait. Still, still, I I now want to present to you the most two-faced of all of these practitioners of double talk and jive we have brought you. Of all the two-faced Tuesdays, uh, we have to take a moment and celebrate the power and the glory and the incredible overachieving douchebaggery that is Senator Rick Scott. Rick Scott decided that he was going to do an impression of a politician who cares about the voters and those people who buy shit off the rack that vote for him. So he put out this little video today issuing a stern warning to all those communists who want to come to Disneyland. Here it is. Senator Rick Scott here. Let me give you a a travel warning. If you're a socialist, communist, somebody that believes in big government, I would think twice. Think twice if you're thinking about taking a vacation or moving to Florida. We're the free state of Florida. We actually don't believe in socialism. We actually know people, and we some people in our state lived under it. We know people lived under socialism. It's not good. It's not good for anybody. So if you're thinking about it, if you think about coming to Florida and you're a socialist or communist, think twice. We like freedom, liberty, capitalism, things like that. Where do we begin? Where do we begin? Where does the stupid end and the lies begin? This is the most two-faced thing you'll hear all day. Let's break down why. First off, Rick Scott wants you to believe that socialism and communism and big government are all the same things. I get it. He doesn't know what words mean. Or more likely, he's banking on Florida Republican voters not knowing what words mean. But did did you hear him banning any kind of socialism from the state of Florida? I think Rick Scott just banned firemen. I think he just banned the U.S. military. And most importantly... I think Senator Rick Scott just banned people on Medicare from spending time in Florida. Can someone please tell the villages to give back their Social Security? I have an aunt there. I'll let her know. Guys, I don't know how to tell you this, but Social Security is socialism. And Florida has more people receiving that particular form of socialism than any state in the country. There's all kinds of socialism operating right now in Florida. That Rick Scott figures his base is too dumb. I mean, Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid, uh, the VA. We have military bases in Florida. Military uses all kinds of socialism. I mean, their health care, their housing, their education. Oh, you know what else? Uh, Tourism. Oh, they love visitors from socialist countries. Um, And by socialist countries, I mean our capitalist allies who just have a safety net. And by the way, Florida's tourism, you know who they really love? Tourists from communist China. You know what else Florida loves? The entire NFL, which is socialism. And it's the best kind. It's socialism for private capitalist profit. You know, I guess the Florida Tourism Board now has to let everyone in Europe know Rick Scott doesn't want you coming here if you believe in socialism. So so Sweden, Norway, the Netherlands, France, Denmark, England, you have that health system. All you other countries that have any kind of socialist parties or programs, any kind of social safety net. Anything that's a policy better than have some cat food nana, 
Don't you dare spend your money in Florida. You stay the hell away from Florida. You keep your tourism dollars in another of our 49 states. All of our capitalist allies, everyone, everyone has a better social welfare system than we have. And Rick Scott just told them not to visit Florida. Do you think if you went point by point through all the different pieces of socialism that Rick would be able to say what he opposes? One by one, guaranteed health leave, tuition-free public university, guaranteed parental leave, child tax benefits. See, (laughs) Rick Scott and uh, the soulless corporate marionettes like him hate socialism because they want to privatize schools. They want to privatize highways. They want to privatize water plants. They want so much more capitalism in your life so you can be paying fees or taxes for the rest of your life. They want you to pay for shit you got for free when you were young. Rick Scott refused federal money for high-speed rail in Florida so he could fund his private Brightline train. My God, these Republicans. They just, they just... I, but no more socialism. I, I guess, Rick, Floridians can stop paying your salary, huh? Now, here's what I like best about that little speech. Did you hear Rick say that white supremacists weren't welcome in Florida? You hear him say anything about white nationalists, any condemnation for white, anything about those Nazis who were literally standing outside Disney World last week demonstrating for Ron DeSantis, waving the swastika? Did Rick Scott say they can't come? No. No. What about a president who exchanged love letters with the communist dictator of North Korea? Oh, he's he's still okay. (laughs) You notice there's a word for a guy who hates socialists, but won't criticize Nazis. And the word is a Nazi. If you're a patriot listener and you're confused because you think Nazis were socialists because you've been told that your whole life, Google's there for you to learn. The reality is Americans want a social safety net. Americans want a country where people aren't declaring bankruptcy because they can't pay health care costs. And throughout it, Rick Scott has been advocating cutting Medicare and cutting Social Security. Don't forget that. Rick Scott's the extremist. Do you remember what I'm talking about? Do you remember Senator Rick Scott's plan to rescue America? Well, 12-point plan he rolled out last year to radically overhaul how our federal government operates. His plan, and it's beautiful, um, every Republican ran away from it, like Ayn Rand running to the mailbox for her Social Security check. But um, what he would do is he'd force Congress to repass every federal law, or else they just lapse. Every five years, every federal law would have to be passed all over again for it to stay in the books. This is where we get into sunset provisions, right? Sunset provisions allow laws and programs to just expire, die off, and go away unless Congress votes to continue them. That's it. No, no, no. He's talking about sunsetting Social Security, sunsetting Medicare. We have to keep on voting to keep it. We'll see if we want to keep it. We'll see if we get around to keeping it. We might have to filibuster and not have the vote. This dude says they're going to they're going to have to repass every federal every every federal law. Do you realize that during the Trump administration and the first two years of Joe Biden's presidency, Congress has passed more than 500 laws a year? Okay, all of those have to be repassed now. Now, Mitch McConnell can't stand Rick Scott, and not just because Rick Scott spent all those years trying to kill Harry Potter. I, I still 
have a bias about that. But Mitch McConnell's been ripping Rick Scott's idea. You've heard it so many times. We've played it on the air where he makes it clear, not a Republican idea, that's a Rick Scott plan. It's not the Republican idea, that's a Rick Scott plan. So there you go, Floridians, uh, morons who voted for this guy. Rick Scott is so anti-socialism, he hates socialism so much, he wants to take away yours. He's going to take away your Medicare. He's going to take away your Social Security if he gets his way. If you don't believe me, read his plan. Please. It's the Rick Scott plan to rescue America. Twelve points. It's really sophisticated. Yeah. Um, He had to drop these programs from his stupid sunset plan under duress. Go read his plan. But here's a final thought on Two-Faced Tuesday. You know, I understand that Rick Scott's terribly worried about socialism. And I believe him. Socialism is very bad for capitalists, for gangsters, for criminals like Rick Scott. See, I'm not so much worried about socialism as I'm worried about people who literally steal billions of taxpayer dollars from a socialist program like Medicare. And Rick Scott has profited quite a bit from socialized medicine. You may remember this. You should. I don't know why the White House doesn't discuss it every day. But back when Rick Scott was CEO of Columbia HCA Hospital, he oversaw the biggest Medicare fraud in U.S. history. In fact, he got fined $1.7 billion with a B, $1.7 billion. That was the largest healthcare fraud fine ever given out by the DOJ. This guy's got a personal fortune of over $300 million. And he oversaw the largest Medicare fraud in U.S. history. And he was perfectly fine with socialism when he could defraud it, when he could scam it, when he could profit off of it. So keep that in mind. For the Rick Scotts of the world, oh yeah, Medicare is socialism. But stealing from that socialism is sweet, beautiful capitalism. See, here's the deal. Um, We live in a blended economy. Socialists and capitalists don't like to hear this, but we have been at our best. Look at the 1950s when we turned the socialism up as high as the capitalism. We're a blended economy. We're both. I'm sorry, that's the way our countries work best. And the socialism isn't a threat to American people. Socialism is not a threat to non-millionaires at all, ever. You know who it's a threat to? It's a threat to overprivileged, corrupt, pompous, empty suits who live in mansions like Rick Scott. This guy tried to rip the government off for billions of dollars in Medicare fraud. I mean, without socialism, there wouldn't have been a Medicare program for Rick Scott to enrich himself. So all of you Republicans who are cheering on Rick Scott's brave battle against socialism, now is the time for you to put your money where your mouth is and start returning your Social Security checks. Are you going to let that filthy socialism clog up your mailbox? Are you going to touch that envelope with all that socialism on that check? I think not. You've joined Voldemort's crew Send Rick Scott your check. And by the way, uh, recent polling, the morning console poll um, has Rick Scott at 16 percent approval nationwide. According to the Pew poll, socialism, 36 percent approval nationwide. Socialism, just like medical weed, so much more popular than the corporations and the politicians trying to ban it. We want to know what you guys think. We are at 866-997-4748, 866-997-GRIT. Rachel in L.A., hello and welcome. How are you? Good. How are you? Very good. Thank you. 
I'm good because, you know, I've been worried about this Morvie Harper thing since last year. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we had a good day today. Thank God. It was a pretty good day. It was a pretty good day. Neil Katyal's been tweeting really beautifully about it all day. But yeah, you know, I I honestly didn't think we would see this. But they rejected one of the most ridiculous attempts Republicans have had to control elections. I mean, they rejected this theory that at one point was just for lunatics, but now it's made it to the Mm -hmm. Supreme Court that would have allowed state legislatures just the ability to run federal elections and gut anything and corrupt anything. It's madness. And it was done by Republicans to help Republicans cheat. Yeah. I mean, that was for making me very nervous for me too. a long time. So thank God. Huh? Well, this is what Donald Trump um, tried to use in 2020. Yeah. He was trying to argue that all the Republican... He would, but he was saying, like, oh, no, 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 all the battleground states, those legislatures are allowed to ignore the popular vote because there was so much election fraud and just send Trump electors to Congress. This is exactly what Trump and a bunch of his lawyer winged monkeys are going to be indicted by Jack Smith for any day. But this, I, I never expected John Roberts to author this. And it, it's it's really positive. It's almost like the Supreme Court yeah. knows how bad their press is. Yes, it, that was, I was going to say that. Yes, that's, people were saying that about Brett Kavanaugh and the other one. They don't want to be, like, perceived as Thomas and, you know, Alito. And so exactly. nasty and brazenly, you know, in exactly. our faces. We don't care what you think. Well, I think um, Alito and, and Thomas are very happy to wag their tiny dicks in our faces at how corrupt they are. I mean, they just seem to delight in this. Alito seems scared. Alito, Alito seems terrified. Uh, Clarence Thomas just, he just, I've, I've never seen such smug privilege ever. The more corrupt it is, the more he's, the more hilarious he finds it. His time needs to come. Like, something needs to, that's the next thing that needs to happen. I don't know. I don't know if Clarence Thomas is ever going to face the music. I don't know. I mean, the guy's been so dirty for so many years, my whole life. It's just been, wow, Clarence Thomas is a dick. And that's why they love him. That's why they hired him. He was hired by George H.W. Bush to undo Thurgood Marshall's legacy. Mm-hmm. Ay, ay, And that wife of him, oh, my God. It's just... Oh, yeah. Okay. Well, this guy, <laughs> if we got justice for this today, I have hope for the future of justice for them. Too. Come on. Isn't it nice when married couples can do sedition together? <laughs> I mean, it, you, you complain all the time that couples can't relate or anything. But when couples actually try to overthrow democracy together, it can really help bring new life into the relationship. Clarence and Jenny, we can sure. learn something from them. So gross. <laughs> um, I was going to tell you, I forgot last week what I was going to say about Schiff. You know, I'm sorry it's already a week old of stuff. but That's okay. Um, when they kept these, you know, Republicans in the car, keep coming out and saying, why did Schiff lie to the American people? No, he fucking didn't. No, he didn't lie. I, I always tell yeah. him, I'm like, tell me the lie. Tell me the specific yeah. lie he told. I'm still waiting. No Russian collusion. There's full on all nothing but Russian collusion. No, in fact, that very election. day... That very day, Adam Schiff's questioning um, of of, uh, of Durham in the Durham he- uh, report hearings showed there was Russian collusion. Just just say to them, why was Donald Trump's second campaign manager fired? And if they don't know why, they probably watch Fox News. You can send them to educate themselves. Ay, ay, ay. Okay, one last thing I want to tell you. Have you been watching The Bear? I have not gotten into The Bear yet. It's so good, John. I know. Like, I'm waiting. For, I'm waiting to find a big. I, I just. I need to find a big bag of free time, and then I'll be watching more. I promise. <laughs> because, like in the second season, I'm not going to give it away. But Jamie Lee Curtis is like. Mm-hmm. You have to get to six, episode six, season two. You have to do it. Like you are like the ninth person today to tell me about episode six, season two of the bear. <laughs> 
it's a goozy, dude. It's fantastic. You have to see it. Uh, listen, I haven't even started Succession yet. I'm practically Amish in oh. this conversation, so well, I got a ways to go. All I, all I know is I, I heard it ties directly into the um, John Carpenter Halloween universe. <laughs> I don't know what that is, honey. I... Oh, I'm that. sorry. Why, why would you only? Why would you have any knowledge of the most famous role of Jamie Lee Curtis's career? Why would you? Oh, I see. Oh, Here we go. Oh, Halloween! Uh, I just wasn't remembering who John Carpenter was. I'm sorry. I didn't know where he was going for that joke either. He went. He went around the. He, he actually went a few blocks out of his way to get that joke. You know, yeah, I mean, you the could, bear is set in said Chicago. It completely relates to the fish called Wanda expanded cinematic universe. You could have said the same thing, and I might have gotten it sooner. <laughs> The Trading Places um, anyway. Extended Universe. <laughs> she deserves, she's going to get like an Emmy or something. I mean, it's just like... Well, she's already having a pretty good year, so I'm very happy for her. She's a very yeah. nice lady. Hey, Rachel, thank you so, thank so much you. for calling. Have a great one. we got to hit a break, and I'm so excited because, my God, I'm a fan of this book. David Neuwert's new one, The Age of Insurrection, The Radical Rights Assault on American Democracy, is a lot of it's going to be stuff that you already knew, and you're going to wonder why the media didn't tell you sooner. David has been following these guys way before they were the Tea Party. And of course, he was probably the least surprised person on the day of January 6th. His book is dynamite. It is both inspiring and scary. You won't want to miss it. We'll be right back. This is Sirius XM Progress. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. This episode is brought to you by Philo. Do you love TV? Do you love saving money? Then Philo is your solution. Philo has shows, movies, and live TV for just $25 a month. You can even try it for free with their seven-day free trial. No contracts, no commitments, no hassles, just a better way to watch TV. Never miss a minute of shows like the hit docuseries Where is Wendy Williams or classics such as Friends. If you can't get enough TV, then there's no better way to watch. Philo has more than 70 channels like BET, MTV, and AMC. And the best part? You can try it yourself with their seven-day free trial. Sign up today at philo.tv slash poppods. That's P-H-I-L-O dot TV slash P-O-P-P-O-D-S to get 50% off your first month. Hey everybody, it's Michael Steele, host of the Michael Steele Podcast. Each week, I discuss key political and cultural issues joined by America's leading activists, experts, and academics for conversations that transcend political boundaries. And that's the point. I want you to join me as we work through real solutions, have honest conversations, just keeping it real, and having a little fun on the side. So listen to the Michael Steele podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Spreaker, or wherever you get your podcasts on. Because you know I love it when you do.
In recent weeks, as we've begun to see January 6th insurrectionists facing convictions for seditious conspiracy, it really does look like the Proud Boys and the Oath Keepers have been beaten back a bit by the legislative and the judicial process. We're even seeing very small crowds for Donald Trump's uh, arraignment in Florida. Of course, the Proud Boys and the Oath Keepers might seem like new, vaguely authoritarian militia movements, but these movements go back many, many decades and are nothing new at all. As our next guest well knows, David Newert's an award-winning investigative journalist and the author of several books, including Red Pill, Blue Pill, How to Counteract the Conspiracy Theories That Are Killing Us, and Alt-America, The Rise of the Radical Right in the Age of Trump. His new book could not be more timely, could not be more gripping. It is The Age of Insurrection, The Radical Right's Assault on American Democracy. And it's all about the far right wing in this country and the long war they've had with democracy while pretending their problem is with government. This book goes back to the 1970s when he was a young reporter in Ohio, and it shows how Donald Trump was just another figure in a much larger movement. It's a great pleasure to welcome David Newert to SiriusXM. Thanks for having me, John. Thank you for writing this book. I can only imagine um, how prescient this must have felt for you. Were you were you actually writing this before January 6th? It seems like it's a, a culmination of so much of the work of your career. Well, yeah, I, I definitely. I mean, I, I was uh, reporting on a daily for Daily Coast um, uh, for, you know, since 2019. And before that, I was reporting regularly for the Southern Poverty Law Center. Um and so, yeah, a lot of it is built on my actual on-the-ground reportage. I covered a couple dozen Proud Boys events and, and uh, you know, related <laughs> far-right events um, in the process of writing it. And, yeah, um, I've been – but, of course, my experience with this goes back to the 90s when I really started taking right-wing extremism seriously as a beat – Mm-hmm. And yeah, and so I've been reporting on it for quite a while. I mean, I remember you, sir, on TV back in the early days of Obama, like pre-Tea Party, warning about the radicalization that was happening ever since yeah. 9-11. I mean, in many ways, when the mainstream media talks about January 6th and what a shock it was, I got the feeling that this was not surprising for you at all that day. <laughs> yeah, pretty much the opposite. You know, I had actually been warning in my daily reportage for Coase uh, that the, the January 6th was going to be a violent event. Um, I didn't know what the scope or shape of that violence was going to be, but uh, he was gathering all of the, uh, the the members of his army in Washington for that day. And uh, they were all, you know, the, the talk of violence was... Uh, was just wildly over the top and yeah. especially their their desire to you know their desire to kill liberals and bring on a civil war so that's it I, I know you weren't surprised by the day but have you been surprised by in many ways the lack of response after january 6th you you write in the book that at first we really thought the the GOP might disavow the insurrection and the people who did it. But you write, instead of breaking the fever of right wing extremism, this event brought in, as you put it, an age in which insurrection is celebrated. Seditionists are defended as patriots and the politics of menace and violence are woven into our everyday discourse 
and interaction. I mean, the very fact that Donald Trump is still leading by double digits in the polls shows how many of us found this a terrorist attack to be acceptable. Yeah, I mean, there are a couple of things at work there. Of course, one of them was right wing media, uh, which went to work right away in in normalizing and mainstreaming what happened on January 6th and, you know, basically coming up with various apologia. First, first, of course, they blamed it on Antifa. <laughs> and of course. Then when that, that didn't wash. Then it was like, oh, um, it was just a, uh, you know, a patriotic rally that got out of hand. Oh, yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, <laughs> you know, tourists. Yeah. yeah and, and eventually I think they settled on the Tucker Carlson narrative that it was actually uh, uh, an FBI operation to uh, entrap conservatives in <laughs> in their nefarious web. Right. Um, so, you know, th- there have been all kinds of ways of normalizing it. From the right. And of course, on the left, um, you know, I think particularly uh, urban liberals tend to live in a bubble and have no idea how widespread this movement has become, how deeply entrenched it is in rural America and um, how large it is. I mean, it's we're talking, you know, when I spend my time online, I'm looking at audiences of hundreds of thousands of people participating in this stuff. Yeah. And um it's very disturbing. It's very worrisome because uh mainly because the the rhetoric is just uh, explicitly eliminationist. Lately it's been directed this eliminationism's been directed at uh the LGBTQ community. Mm-hmm. But uh but others as well. Um well, sure. And, we all heard yeah. Jews will we all heard Jews will not replace us in Charlottesville. That's that's right. That's right. I mean, it's it's they have a long menu of people that that are their targets, and ultimately, it's anyone who's not like them. Yeah. Um, but you you do something okay. very important in this book, which is that you you push against the mainstream media narrative that Donald Trump radicalized all these people that that somehow yeah. this is his doing. I've thought for a long time that Donald Trump is just the hood ornament on the car that crashes into the marketplace. Um, but Donald Trump didn't turn ordinary conservatives into violent fascists. How do you explain the role he plays in a much larger fascist movement? Well, I will say I don't want to underplay Trump's role in this. He he certainly turned it from a uh, a marginal phenomenon. I mean, I would say back in the 90s, when I was first reporting on these people on the Patriot movement and the militias and people like that, um, that it was a French phenomenon back then. Um, but during the Obama years, particularly under the auspices of the Tea Party, um, we saw this radicalization really take off. Uh, the movement of patriot movement ideas into the mainstream of Republican politics was really heavy. And of course, Trump was part of that, uh, you know, yeah. because all of this stuff is built around conspiracism and, and his career is built on. Uh, you know, promoting the birther conspiracy theory. That's um, right. And so, um, you know, he's very much part of that world. And, you know, he played the key role of being the person that they all gravitated around. Now, I can tell you, as someone who's has studied the radical right for a long time, I would say, you know, I, I used to speak, uh, chat with a 
a guy named Chip Berlay, who is... Uh, I love a, Chip Berlay. Love him. Famous researcher. And Chip and I would talk about how, you know, we've, America had been has been pretty lucky in terms of being able to uh, blunt the, the fascist trends that have always been in our political discourse, yeah. uh, dating back to at least the years of the Klan, if not before. And um, we've been very fortunate that we have not had, um, you know, a fascist movement in this country that uh, was able to gather any kind of steam. Of course, the, the fascist movements that I was studying, like the Aryan nations and the Posse Comitatus and people like that, they were all very, you know, tiny, very fringe movements, extremely violent and worrisome, but um, they weren't mass. And the reason that... You know, if you study fascism, you know that one of the keys to the dynamic of fascism where it gains is actually able to gain traction and gain power within a democracy. That's true. Is is when uh, basically they have a charismatic leader. They they require a charismatic leader. This is it's fundamental to authoritarianism to have a glorious leader that everybody needs to follow. That that is the and, one trait that unites all Trump supporters. You're right, right, and that's what they all get gathered behind him. And so now, you know, now they're drinking from the fire hose of authoritarianism that's flowing out of there. But as as uh, you point out, rather in the book, large media. As What's you that? point out, well, as you point out beautifully in, in the book, The Age of Insurrection, a lot of um, international fascist movements certainly were inspired by. United States policies. You point out yeah. Nuremberg laws were inspired by the Jim Crow laws. The brown shirts yeah. were inspired by the Klan. And of course, we all know Hitler's concentration camps were very inspired by the Native American genocide. That's correct. Yeah, he came up with the whole idea of, of you know, all you have to do is read Mein Kampf to know that the Lebensraum, which led to the Holocaust, was a concept that he developed uh, while study, looking at the Native American genocide. So... One of the more troubling aspects of your book is about how the radical right, uh, they're always trying to build their numbers, but they also, well, they've got allies. They've got allies in Americans' institutions and like the police department in Portland, Oregon, and where where they saw the Proud Boys as being just normal Americans. It was the left-wing protesters that obviously had to be looked at. And, of course, you talk about how there were senior people in Homeland Security who had what you call an yeah. authoritarian incompetence throughout the Trump years. I mean, is this about how all it takes for fascism to succeed is for good people to do nothing? Yeah, ultimately. I mean, it, so, yeah, I mean, part of this, of course, is people turning a blind eye to it. Yeah. Uh, people being in denial about its existence and being in denial about the severity of the problem. Uh, and And also, you know, basically failing to understand that uh, democracy, you know, democracy doesn't just defend itself. Uh, we have to actively defend it, particularly when it's under attack, and it is under attack by the these movements right now, these yeah. far right organizations. So, um, yeah, I, I think you know, I mean, of course, with the police, it's really one of the more worrisome aspects because. You know, I think most of us, particularly those who want to turn a blind eye to this, uh, are counting on our law enforcement officers, our law enforcement uh, authorities 
to do their job and put these people under arrest and you know when they commit crimes yes and um right now we've got such a problem with infiltration within the ranks of our police forces that i think that if push comes to shove and these people actually do start getting out their ar-15s and as the guy who said at the charlie kirk show or charlie kirk event in idaho a couple of years yeah. ago he asked when do we get to start using the guns well when they start using the guns we need law enforcement to be there to protect us and i'm not 100 certain they will be it's pretty terrifying um i also want to ask you about um corporate cooperation with this sort of thing, because yeah. I think we all got lulled into a sense of uh, the security of progress after a Ronald Reagan appointee wrote the majority yeah. opinion that legalized marriage equality in the United States. But just last week, when we were looking at the sentencing of the Club Q shooter in Colorado, you know, we, we, we know that this anti-LGBT rhetoric has led to death. We know that mainstreaming yeah. this kind of homophobia has led to horrific crime, and yet we still see this right-wing boycott over Budweiser because they gave a free beer can to a trans person on uh, Instagram. I mean, it, it just yeah. sort of seems like there's always a movement in place, an organized, funded movement to pull us back from progress. Well, it's and it's endemic to the authoritarian right. Part of their yeah. mentality is, um, you know, the you know, key to their mentality really is uh, that they conceive of themselves as heroes. Um, they all see themselves as being heroic saviors of the Republic. And, and this is true, by the way, of, I've studied hate crimes for quite a while, and this is true of every hate crime perpetrator that I ever met. You know, they believe they were defending their community. Yeah. And um, they also believe that, you know, more people that the they were speaking for the, you know, they were acting on behalf of the silent majority, that sort of thing. Um, so, you know, it's really endemic to right-wing authoritarianism that they, um, you know, see themselves as heroes. And, of course, key to the whole heroic myth is that every hero has to have an enemy. And of course. so this, this means that they're constantly inventing enemies. That's it. You know, in the 60s and 70s, it was the communists. And in the 80s, it was immigrants, or that, yeah. that definitely became the case in the 2000s as well. And Gay then, people but, who want uh, to marry, migrants, yeah. trans, trans children, trans yeah. soldiers. I mean, fascists, authoritarians always have the existential enemy that is somehow threatening your way of life, and yeah. only I can protect you from this powerless that's minority that's taking over. Yeah, that's how, and that's exactly how it works. That's how authoritarian... Uh, systems work. Um, you have to have the the leader on top, who typically is a is their leaders are very different than the followers. Leaders are typically uh, social do, social dominance uh, oriented per personalities, whereas authoritarian personalities are um, more inclined to uh, have some. You know, they want somebody to lead them. That's yes. kind of key to their mentality. They they want the dominant leader to sit there and tell them what to do. And, um, you know, it's it's actually something that exists in every society around the world, yeah. uh, these authoritarian personalities. Um, but authoritarianism can be induced by fear mongering, 
the more fear-mongering there is, the more people are inclined to uh, go get into what I call an authoritarian uh, crouch. Yeah, uh, where they're basically they they just care about their security and the safety exactly. of their families and things that uh, think you know, yeah. and by appealing to be people's fear, whether it's you know post nine eleven fear of mu- Muslims or uh, the two thousand two thousands fear of uh, immigrants coming over the border. Uh, or whether it's you know CRT or or mm-hmm. gay, exactly. There's always some enemy that they will basically make up out of whole cloth. I mean, for a while it was Antifa, too. Of course, and that, that was another concocted enemy. Yes, literally anti-fascism. They're warning us about. But I I, I have yeah. to ask you the million dollar question because now, despite Trump's continuing disturbing popularity, he we've seen him twice in court to be indicted for felonies. Yeah, and. Both times he tried to rile his supporters up. He was yeah. he was pushing violent rhetoric. He he tried to he tried to cast himself in the David Koresh Waco fire in the same kind of spirit in Waco. I mean, it was so over the top. And yet for both arraignments, we really didn't see the kind of violent mm-hmm. uprising or rioting to stop him from getting indicted. Should we read into that too much? Not I wouldn't read too much into it because it, it a lot of it depends on the conditions on the ground. Right now, the conditions on the ground are that people in, you know, the Proud Boys and these other and these militias have kind of moved on from Trump for the most part. Yeah, because um, part of it was from January 6th. They saw how he, he threw them all under the bus. That's right. And this is particularly true of the Proud Boys. Um and their their focus has been post January sixth has been explicitly to focus all their efforts on uh, going local, on building things up from the ground up, uh, or, or rather hollowing democracy out from from the ground up, uh, attacking um, local institutions. These include school boards, uh, city councils, county councils, health boards. What have you? And they do it in a couple of ways. One of them is to send out these masses of, of you know, bellicose, heavily armed men to threaten and intimidate people who are just trying to run a school board meeting. That's or, right. um, and of course, you saw this. In, we've been seeing this in Glendale uh, in the past month with Proud Boys turning out in large numbers to threaten the school board there over the. They're supposed to, uh, the groomer texts that they have in their exactly. school library or, yeah. um, or, you know, the, the, and the other thing that they do is that they run uh, silent candidates to uh, do surreptitious takeovers of these bodies. So exactly. we've seen school boards actually get taken over by right wing extremists, some of whom don't even have children in the school districts. And as you point out in the book, if we keep our eyes closed to the continuing threat and fail to be prepared, uh, because as far as they're concerned, we are at war. Only a fool would disbelieve them. David Newart, I would love to invite you back to go even deeper on this because you really write beautifully about how this is not going to manifest itself in a civil war. It's going to be more violence. The book is The Age of Insurrection, The Radical Rights Assault on American Democracy. Thank you so much for writing this book. It's dynamite and gripping. Please come back and let's go even deeper sometime. I'd love to come back, John. Uh, what a great I love pleasure. your show. So thank you so much. Thank you. I'll hold you to it. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back with your calls. This is progress. 
Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Dr. Tracy Pearson is a legal analyst and consultant you've seen on TV and radio and podcasts and Forbes, Fast Company, New York Post, Cheddar News, News Nation. We are really blessed to have her join us for some expert legal and political analyses every Tuesday. Dr. Tracy, welcome back to SiriusXM. Well, good evening, John. It is my favorite day of the week because I am with you. Well, thank you very much. We have to upgrade the rest of your days. But I'm really thrilled to have you here. And I've been wanting your take ever since last night. Thea and I arrived at the forebodingly empty SiriusXM studios like that we do every Monday. And uh, all the news was about the new Donald Trump tape. You know, if you hear he said these things waving around confidential documents and boasting that you're not supposed to see these. Uh, It's one thing to read the transcript, but actually hearing it. I mean, this guy's cooked, isn't he? What did you think when you heard that? He is absolutely done, well done, overdone, like like charred. And people may be talking about, I know a lot of people are talking about, you know, what are his lawyers thinking or what are they doing? We are generally, as defense lawyers, here to defend the system. So no matter who you are, our job is to make sure that the the government, whether it be the state government or the federal government, uh, is going to prove their case, each and every element of the offense beyond a reasonable doubt, using the the court's established uh process and and that you get all the process you're due okay Okay. so we that's our job and so even if you're guilty we're gonna do it to the best of our ability that doesn't mean we aren't gonna throw over a desk like (laughs) Teresa on uh, the housewives of new jersey okay i mean i would be tossing furniture at this point at him to shut him up but I, I mean, that's what has always puzzled me. You're a Donald Trump attorney. So on the one hand, you want to win the case. On the other hand, it's kind of about the billable hours, isn't it? I mean, there have to be some attorneys out there who know they're dealing with eccentric, wealthy lunatics. And they're just I, I mean, look, when every lawyer, when every, I mean, all the Christopher Keis told him. Like, like you, you can't have these documents and it's not legal, but he wanted to listen to Tom Fitton, the guy in the T-shirt. So, I mean, I don't have a lot of sympathy for Donald Trump lawyers. They're willing to take his money to advance his lies. I think that, again, I go back to the, they're, they're there to to uh, follow a process and to ensure somebody gets due process um, when when 
in my jur- in my jurisdiction when I was practicing, um, it was an, not an hourly rate for for criminal defense lawyers. We did cases on flat fees, and you would break that flat fee up so that you would get a percentage of it when you signed the retainer agreement. You get a percentage of it when you showed up for the arraignment, and and so on. And so. I really don't think that that they would be making all that much more money than what they they said is the fee at the beginning unless they do do it hourly. But regardless, I think that look, people have a right to defend themselves even if their defense sucks. <laughs> and sure. even if they want to do themselves, you, you, you mean in, they you can mean do saying it. it was just bravado talking because that's the new defense. It was it was that's, just locker room talk, Your Honor. Yeah, I hear the bravado defense. What I hear as I hear that as more of like an oh shit moment as opposed to a defense. It's not a defense. Um, he's he's doing what every defendant has done and every defendant that I have I have had, you know, who, who had actually committed the offense which is they said stupid things, they did stupid things, and now they're backtracking. They act like three-year-olds where the cookie jar has has fallen on the floor, the evidence is around them, they've got chocolate smeared all over their faces, their mouth is full, they're chewing, and they're going, I didn't take the cookies. Yeah, you did take the cookies, buddy. You did. So let me ask you about the judge uh, in the case as well, Aileen Cannon, because, you know, we're still trying to figure out what she's up to. Is she just auditioning for the Federalist Society or auditioning to redeem her place in history? Uh, you said you observed a wave of implicitly, implicitly directly biased bullshit where fault was being found with the South District Florida court and her denial of emotion. It, it does really seem like we don't have a good idea of what this judge is about yet. Yeah, I would encourage people now, you know, I, I'm not a big fan of, of sort of ringing my own bell here, but um, I, I have a sub stack. It's yes. Dr. Tracy Explains. I encourage people to go read it because I do have an article where I spent a lot of time researching who she was, who this judge was. And I was sh- surprised and it came out of seeing a anchor um, on a major network um, mock her. And I yeah. thought, nah, it's not a good move. And so I, I, I wanted to know who this person was, this this judge was. So I went and researched her and I was like, what? Wait, you're kidding me. This mm-hmm. is somebody who who is very smart. She went to um, a, a great schools um, and uh, she worked for the Department of Justice as a paralegal. Yes. Was a clerk, went to Gibson Dunn, which is a big law firm. Then she went back to the Department of Justice and worked there. Now, you don't visit a place twice unless you like it. So okay. she didn't have to do that. And um, I think that that it, it makes I want people to understand that this is somebody who not only worked in the major crimes unit, but she also worked in the appeals unit handling sentencing appeals by the government and also appeals that were brought by the defendant, but also uh, the, the case appeals that are brought by convicted defendants. Mm-hmm. So this is somebody who, who knows how to do this. I've heard a lot made about how much time she spent in a courtroom. 98% of all federal cases settle. You're right. going to have the same statistics with, with any judge, uh, depending on how well, long they've been on the bench. But let me just ask you again, how long is it relevant how long she's been on the bench? Because we've heard a lot about the fact that Donald Trump made her a judge. And so far, she's only had four trials and spent 14 days in a courtroom as a judge. No. And, and the reason for that is because they hire court clerks or, you know, clerks to help them, law clerks to help them uh, do the research, to do the drafting. But keep in mind, the Department of Justice cases are one 
on uh, the work that's done ahead of time. When the yeah. Department of Just ha Justice has you, they have you 99% of the time dead to rights. And so um, she knows how to build a case. She understands those are the skills that you're using. And, and you're using the same analytical skills, the same writing skills, the same, uh, you know, uh, uh, understanding of how to do this stuff because she was in court every single day. Okay, sure. It doesn't mean that she wasn't, wasn't in court. It's just that she wasn't trying a case in front of a jury. Here's the good news. She's not trying the case. She's the judge. Right. Um, and so the motion that happened yesterday, uh, that 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 the decision that came down, I saw this just massive wave of people with their hatred. Guys, knock the crap off, okay? Like seriously, take two seats. The motion that was filed was was filed to to seal a list of witnesses. Guess what? The magistrate said give it to the defense counsel. Didn't say give it to the court. So the judge mm. kicked it back and said, "Why are you doing this?" She's got some interests in protecting these witnesses because the second that sucker gets filed and put under seal because she has an interest in protecting these witnesses, um, she's now dealing with, you know, you know, Bobby Jones, the white supremacist in, in Mississippi, who right. is is, you know, wanting that list on a FOIA request of some sort and right. or filing a motion thinking that they can do that because guess what some guy filed a motion to intervene in the defamation case involving gene carroll so how is the doj doing what 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 kind of grade do you give them um at this point they're passing they're they're, they're passing i i haven't seen enough to be able to say wow this is exemplary they're doing what they're supposed to be doing i do think that filing the witness list i, I think there was a I can tell you from experience with this, like, oh, man, did the judge want it filed or not want it filed? Ah, heck, let's file it, see what happens. And you file it and the judge goes, nah, OK, whoopsie, OK. And they back up and, and, and they, they give the court the opportunity to reject it. Okay. And so that's what they did. And, and so a lot of this, this is why we call it legal practice. It's not perfect. And I think that people need to stop overreacting every time they see something happen. The legal practice is a is a reformist activity. It is not a revolutionary activity. This is not what you see on Law & Order. This is not what you see on TV, okay? Unless you're watching Law and & Crime and you're watching the trial and, and the mind-numbingness of, of, right. of that work. So let me ask you this then. We've heard that Donald Trump is allegedly not allowed to talk about the case at all with his co-defendant, Walt Noda, who's also his body man and essentially his butler, uh, and now sitting at the members of honor table in Mar-a-Lago, not just fetching his coffee for him. So um, Donald Trump's taking very good care of him and paying his legal fees as well. But what were the details of the order Donald Trump was given by the judge? And what happens if Trump violates that order? Sure. Um, the the details were this, that he wasn't to talk about the case with anybody on on the list that the Department of Justice put together. There's about 80 something uh, people who are on that list um, and that he isn't to talk to them about the case um, and, and there, because of, of concerns about witness tampering. If he should engage in conduct that could be construed as witness tampering and the Department of Justice finds out, a motion to, 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 to show cause as to why or for contempt and an order to show cause as to why you shouldn't be found in contempt will probably issue. And you, you have to show up in person and, and defend yourself. Um, if you're found in contempt, um, you're, you're going to probably, you know, have your bail conditions revoked. 
and you'll end up sitting in, in behind some jail cell uh, somewhere. I, I, I'm just thinking, though, after last night's tape, if I'm Donald Trump's lawyers, I'm doing anything I can do to somehow reach a deal with the feds, like the deal he reached for Trump University, like the deal he reached for the uh, uh, Trump Foundation or the Trump Organization. I mean, the guy tends to settle at some point. That's civil cases. These are criminal cases. Criminal cases mm. are, are you're going to have stand committed time. You're going to have stand committed time when you've been charged with violation of of the Espionage Act for possessing classified information. Oh, my. OK, I want to um, open this up to our listeners a little bit, too. We'll, we'll get to the phones in a second. Our number is 866-997-4748, 866-997-GRIT. I'm sorry, Tracy, go ahead. No, no. And I was going to say that that Jack Smith at this point has no reason to to negotiate anything. Um, you know, he's he's sitting in the position of power. And so they need to come to him with something that, that's worth worth his time. This this is a message sending case. And so it has to send a message generally on behalf of the government that we don't stand for this type of conduct at the highest levels. I want to play a a quick clip of Donald Trump speaking to his supporters in New Hampshire earlier. Uh, Just because to me, it sounds like the guy is very scared and becoming even more pandering than we've been led to expect here. He is telling his supporters that, you know what he's going to do now? You know, what he's going to do now. He didn't do this the last time, but elect him now and he'll bring back the war on drugs in a major way. I will destroy the cartels just as we destroyed the ISIS caliphate, 100 percent of ISIS. When I came in, they said, you won't be able to do it. I said, yes, I will. And uh, we destroyed it in a very short period of time. We had some great generals. Not all of them are like the television guys, the guys you see on television. They are not the best. I will deploy the U.S. Navy to impose a full naval embargo on cartel trafficking. And, you know, New Hampshire in particular, you have a drug problem that's unbelievable because I go to different states and some have and many have it. But I don't think there's anyone that has more severe drug problems than New Hampshire. So we have to get your governor to get a little bit more active on that because that's a bad thing. That's really hurting. It's really hurting your state. Now, what he's really talking about is firing missiles into Mexico. That's what he's actually talking about. And that's the kind of violence porn he's peddling in New Hampshire, even though he's 19 points ahead. Yeah, I, I, I grew up in New Hampshire and, uh, and frankly, I don't have any real memories of my where I was born, which was in Maine. Um, and I can tell you that the drug problem is severe, but it's coming up from Massachusetts. Um, mm-hmm. Folks aren't bringing it down the Piscataqua. Um, and I've been down the Piscataqua with my sailboat, so I know. Um, and I, I have to say that there is um, a problem here in California. He seemed to have forgotten about that because he railed on that a lot. Um, but he, he remember, he is all about making promises he can't keep. And again, you know, we have uh, we have jurisdictions in this country. We don't we don't generally uh, use the military to kill our own, um, especially, you know, when there's a risk of that. Right. And they have certain missions that that they're that they're that they are responsible for. Um, I, I, the U.S. Navy, I love it. I love it. Um, <laughs> the Portsmouth Naval Shipyard is nearby. That's why you mentioned that. Right on. Let me go to the phones. We have a few people been waiting quite a while to get on. Uh, let's say hi to our good friend Stephen in Kentucky. Stephen, thank you so much for your patience. You are on Sirius Stephen. XM with Dr. Tracy how Pearson. How are you this evening? Better oh, now. how um, are you? 
Well, I'm doing all right. Actually, we had that. We had a tornado here on Sunday night, um, so I was a little bit shaken up by that, oh, uh, as you can imagine. So yeah, it's very there's scary. still some people without electricity. I know uh, one of our friends from Texas was mentioning that uh, they were without electricity too, I believe, and. So it is, it's it's just frightening. It is all this weather and everything else. Yeah. Um, I did want to mention something that I um, just happened to see. Please. And it goes into Trump as well. Did you happen to see what Roseanne Barr, Miss Walsh Up, has about <sighs> herself? What yes. she recently said about the Holocaust. Have you seen her remarks by chance? Yes. Um, yeah, Tracy, I don't know if you followed Roseanne Barr's comments. She was on a right-wing show. And um, honestly, Stephen, we didn't we didn't address it uh, because I actually don't think Roseanne... I think Roseanne was trying to give a hypothetical. I think she was trying to be satirical about the kind of uh, free speech that we have to allow. I don't think she was really saying that the Holocaust didn't exist and we need to have one to kill six million Jews. I think she was talking about points of view that are uh, abhorrent that we still have to accept. When I watched the whole clip, I, I didn't think she was actually saying that. She is Jewish after all, but tell me your thoughts. Well, I mean, it's hard to say with that woman. I mean, considering a couple of years ago, you know, she makes her smart-ass remarks about Valerie Jarrett, of course. And yeah. I guess what I'm getting at is, you know, years ago, I didn't. I was never a real big fan of hers anyway. I mean, I would watch her show every now and then if, if the mood struck me. But I will mm -hmm. say that in the 1990s, she seemed to have a little bit more of a message for her show. I would agree. And then all of a sudden, well, her, I the message was working-class Americans and the issues they faced. And you watch that old show. And it's amazing to see how, uh, how aware it is of what trickle down economics has done to hardworking people like the Connor family. When they launched the reboot, I just I was like, oh, my God, everyone kept saying, oh, no one's age. They all look terrific. And I'm like, yeah, because they're not the Connor family. They're all celebrities who can afford plastic surgery. They're not this kind of family. Well, I think that, you know, years ago, I mean, some people could identify with that. I couldn't really identify. I could identify more with designing women than I could mm. a Roseanne. But mm -hmm. I will say, though, she, um, at least years ago, she was true to some of her principles. She was a she feminist. Was. And she was. Uh, but yet, it's interesting because all the men that she hated years ago are the personification of Donald Trump. And now, of I course, agree. she supports Trump, which has, makes me wonder... If perhaps maybe this woman had a breakdown or something it along the way, because I, I know there's a lot of stuff. Listen, Roseanne, I mean, Roseanne has been a very good, per very good to me over the years, and she's been a friend to me over the years, and I've been to her home, and I've worked with her, and um, she. all I'll say is that she has written and spoken very publicly about her struggles with mental health and bipolar disorder and multiple personalities, and so um, when you see her saying these things, please understand that there might be people around her who don't have her best interests at heart and are just trying to make any kind of money they can make right now. I can see that to a certain degree, yeah, I I could, because it is kind of strange how all of a sudden, because even at the end of her show, I believe uh, they killed off Dan yeah, it was in stupid. 97, and then when they revamped the whole damn show, he was piffed back, so it really didn't make a lot of sense. Yeah, I did want to say, though, I was reading some articles while I was on hold, and... You know, Mr. Trump, uh, he's at it again, of course, you know, with his World War III comments and everything else. I just want to mention, though, this is not 2015, 2016. 
before we all get so afraid that this is the end of all our country, you know, the fact is, and I believe the root pundit said this earlier, Mr. Trump is 62 percent unpopular, has an unpopular an unpopularity rating with the dependents. And the fact is, you know, he can try to huff and he can try to puff and blow the house down like the little spoiled brat he is. He looks, and by the way, he looks like he's not a day over 170, by the way. (laughs) I saw him the other day. Uh, Yeah, all that orange shit he has all over his face. Maybe he should consider getting a facelift or something because the fact is it's really very ugly to look at. But besides that, we need a wide-angle lens. He talks about Chris Christie being so No, no, let's not size shame if we can avoid it. I I think we should. Wait a minute. I think we should start to say this to him because I tell you, I wish somebody would get up there and just tell him, why don't you just shut the hell up? Nobody no, I, I won't. I can't, can't size shame well, we him. Don't care. We I'm not going to call Donald to concern t- ourselves with. No, I we can't really call him. The problem isn't his size. His problem is what's between his ears. Yeah. So well, it, that's it, what it, we it's need between to everything. The man has no soul. I mean, he's, mm. he thinks he's God's gift. On what planet is he God's gift? What, venereal? The planet venereal, <laughs> perhaps? I don't know. I'm just I mean, saying. The, the, well, the fact the fact is, you know, maybe it's time. That's what you do to a bully. You stand up to them and you put them in their place and see how they like it. Indeed. Because I tell you, I am so sick to death. I every time I see his ugly face and his that nasty voice of his, I either mute the TV or I flip the channel. Because and then he even tries to infringe on my time when I'm watching The Young and the Restless, and all of a sudden I see the news break in with the story about this. I mean, I no, know, is I know. enough is enough already. I mean, I know. Oh, but Tracy, the well, fucking Stephen. media is so okay. in love with this I'm, man. Yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna. What I'm gonna do is participate now. Uh, I'm Tracy, sorry. I, I think I'm it, sorry. No, I just okay. have to get yeah. it out. Nothing but love for you, baby. But Tracy, I think what we're witnessing right now is um, quite possibly karma beginning to punch back. I think that we are witnessing a very long, slow, drawn out, and dramatic series of karmic retribution coming back to Donald Trump. And it's been going on. It's in progress. He's miserable, and it's only going to get worse. Is that too hopeful, Doctor? I I don't think it's too hopeful. I think that people need to think about it this way. I want you to get into your car, and I want you to drive as fast as humanly possible that, that, that your car will ever take you. And then what I want you to do is slam on the brakes. And and. It's unexpected. It is something that your body just just can't handle. And and your brain, it it works the same way when Mm. you think everything around you is is what it is. And then all of a sudden you hit that wall and you realize, oh, God, it's not. And for some people, it's a slow breakdown. And we're going to see that. And when that happens, thank God he's not in office because, boy, um, that's the time when somebody, you know, does something irrational, like presses a button or or orders somebody (laughs) to do something. Exactly. Exactly. Well, I tell you what we need. I mean, after having survived him for four years, I say fuck the tea party and fuck the coffee party. We need a cocktail party to, after having to dealt with this guy. I mean, for heaven's sake, I say let bring me, on the martinis. For I, like let me, let me I like it. I like it. Seven Folks, martini lunch or something. You are secretary general of the cocktail party, Stephen Tracy. Let me give give you another perspective here, or not perspective, but another example. Um, oftentimes when, when you have somebody who um, the police are pursuing in, uh, let's say, a domestic violence situation, and they get mm-hmm. barricaded, they get reactive. And this yes. guy is being barricaded. 
and and it's going to get worse before we see any relief if we do um it is it is something that that it is it's going to become sad right now we're we're angry and we're frustrated it's going to be sad to watch somebody just disintegrate and i understand people oh, I hate agree. him but he's a human being and and he's not well that's my opinion. I know, but, but also, Tracy, people who, especially men who spend their whole life trying to be good people, need to see accountability. I mean, oh, absolutely. I mean, people who are raising children and people who tell kids, don't lie, don't be racist, respect women, do your homework. They need to see accountability because this Look guy's the- everything we tell kids not to be. Look at the folks that have seen accountability and what they've what they've done. Look at Jeffrey Epstein, who who uh, the reports say that that it was established to be a suicide. Um, yes. And and so it, look at what accountability does to somebody who's never seen it and hasn't had to be confined in that way. And you know, even if Trump is not imprisoned in a in a traditional cell and he is, you know, on on let's say. A home confinement, and I'm not saying that's going to it's going to happen. That is, it's it's enough when your freedom and your liberty are taken from you. It is enough to make you un, very unwell. Yeah, that's very true. Uh, listen, Stephen, I got to go, but I thank you very much for the call. I just want to get a couple more calls in before we wrapped up. Uh, Bill in New Jersey, you're on with Dr. Tracy. Hey, Bill. Hi, good evening. Hello. Hello. Hey, good up. Um. Anyway. Uh, I was calling about the uh, trial in uh, Pennsylvania for the synagogue, yes. and they're considering the death penalty. Yeah, and I doubt any of the parishioners there are for the death penalty. As far as I'm concerned, I was, grew up in you know uh, the same uh, faith and everything, and uh, uh, the only thing that uh, in Israel, at least, that the death penalty is reserved for are uh, people who commit genocide and uh, yeah. you know crimes against humanity. I mean, this I this man killed eleven worshippers in the synagogue. Uh, right, back five years already. By right. the way, that but, that happened. Right, but number one, you got to work. You got to agree that the worst penalty is living out the rest of your life every day, thinking about what you've done. And maybe have a chance of seeing the light. Yeah, I you're mean, listen, I'm with you. I, I'm, I'm against the death penalty for. I'm against the death penalty in 100 percent of cases. But but let me ask Dr. Tracy, her being the lawyer here. I mean, the the defense attorneys are saying he acted irrationally because he has a history of schizophrenia. Uh, they've said that now in the punishment phase of his trial. Um, I guess we shouldn't be surprised that there are prosecutors seeking execution for the murder of eleven souls. Yes. Um, the uh, when you do a death penalty case, there's two phases. There's the, the, the guilt phase and then there's the penalty phase. Um, and uh, the penalty phase uh, requires that you present um, what are aggravating factors and then the defense can put on what are mitigating factors. Right. And so the mitigating factors are, are arguing that there's a mental health issue. And, of course, the prosecutors are going to argue that that's uh, malingering of some today, sort. Today, and the defense called in their first witness who testified that the defendant has epilepsy. So, yeah, there should be we should expect a lot of that. Exactly. Yeah. And so 
Um, it, it is. I am 100 percent against the death penalty. I watched the the Parkland uh, shooter um, uh, penalty phase from start to finish. And I, I have to say that I am against the death penalty because I don't think it serves a purpose. And we've Same. established that it doesn't uh, prevent yeah. anything. There's nobody who's ever committed a crime that said, well, shit, I think I should stop right now because, well, I might get the death penalty. Right. Oh, I don't know. I want to rob this liquor store. But hmm. yeah, exactly. It's not a deterrent. Go ahead, Bill. Right. But uh, anyway, if you let the person live out their life, um, they will possibly come to some sort of, uh, you know, uh, experience where they realize what they've done and then they have to spend the rest of their life uh, atoning for it. Or the person might still be innocent by some degree. And God forbid you put an innocent person to death. Well, and, yeah, I'm with uh, you on that. That's another reason why capital punishment's wrong. But let's be honest, this this guy's pretty guilty. Guilty on 63 counts. Right. But but it's a better it's it's, it's a better punishment for him to learn what he's done and atone for it than to just disappear. I agree. Um, I, I agree. Tracy. I think that that you can disappear into a into a cell and sit there. I there's a great book by uh, Michel Foucault called um, having to do with punishment mm-hmm. and talking about what's called a panopticon. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I recommend mm-hmm. that people go and read that um, because it's mm-hmm. it, it, it is the ideal punishment is to yeah. to you sort of be in this cell and be watched the entire time and have to have all this time rest in your life to to think about what just happened. Jesus. Hey, thank you so much for the call, Bill. I appreciate it. While I still have you, Dr. Tracy, before the break, can we talk about Ivanka for just a second? I know she's changed her last name, so everything should be fine for her. But <laughs> what's going on in, in Ivanka news? I mean, the claims against Ivanka right now, the, the civil claims that are brought by the attorney general were challenged based on her not being a party to an agreement to stop the statute of limitations. Is that right? Yes. I don't understand what I'm saying. That's right. There, there was an agreement to toll the statute of limitations. And what that means is to stop. Um, so everybody who, who was part of the case told it for, for a reason. And there was a reason for that. And um, she was not a party to that agreement. And because of that, um, it was as if it didn't exist. And that meant the statute of limitations continued to run. And because um, the allegations precede 2016 for her, the statute of limitations has run. And so uh, those claims can't be made against her. Had she continued to engage in conduct and had there been evidence put forward or an argument put forward that that she had engaged in conduct, then you could have uh, looped in the prior conduct because it was a continuing course of behavior. Hmm. Okay. so what does that mean? I mean, she doesn't have anything to worry about. Not there. She doesn't. We don't know what she may have to worry about moving forward. I mean, you know, to go back to her changing her name. I mean, you think about the effort that that's required for for a woman to go down to the Social Security office and stand in line because you can't send someone in your place uh, to go fill oh, out the that humiliation. Paperwork. Poor lady. Yes. Yes. Um, I having having done it myself. Um, and so I, I, I she's definitely trying to rebrand herself, but um I, 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 we don't know what's going to befall her, although she at times was brought in to try to temper his stupidity um, mm-hmm. and, and to talk him down. I think that she's fairly well suited to slide out from underneath anything that might be there unless it's a financial crime of some sort that's discovered. Boom. Boom. We got to hit our break. Tracy, can you stay with us until uh, after we come back? Absolutely. We will be right back with some final thoughts and final calls at 866-997-4748. This is Progress. 
Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So, what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. This is SiriusXM. I'm John Fugelsang. Dr. Tracy Pearson, it is always such a pleasure to have you join us. What is the best way for our evil army of the night to follow you and keep up with all your many doings? Oh, my goodness. Well, I am on every social media platform, although I, I can say that I'm on Blue Sky. If I could have one of those little invite codes, that'd be great. But I am at Tracy Explains, and I have a Substack at Dr. Tracy Explains. We've only got a minute left, but I, I have to ask you, the Coast Guard has opened up the highest level of inquiry available in investigating the Titan submarine, which, after all, the Russia commotion is almost forgotten. Um, it really seems likely that that company is going to be declaring bankruptcy very soon, right, to forestall anything? If they haven't thought about it already, um, that that won't stop any criminal liability. But um, yes, uh, read my Substack, folks. There, I have one on this. Um, there, there is a law. Um, we heard that there wasn't a law about submersibles. There is one. Yeah, it's corruption or coincidence, right? That's a great piece. Absolutely. Yep. Okay. Well, thank you, Tracy. What are you going to be keeping your radar up for this week? What uh, what's going to be the biggest story? Oh, gosh, I don't know. I think there's going to be some more Trump stuff coming down the line because uh, we've got Georgia coming out soon. Exactly. Georgia's coming. And uh, whatever the January 6th case is going to be, there will be more indictments coming. Dr. Tracy Pearson, thank you so much for joining us. It is always a real joy to come to work on a Tuesday and get to talk with you. Thank you, Chris Hauselt, barking orders in my ear all night like the taskmaster you are. Thank you, Thea Harper, for classing up the whole joint. Thank you to David Neewert. Again, the book is The Age of Insurrection, The Radical Rights Assault on American Democracy. Check it out. Had a pretty packed show. I'm sorry if we didn't get to your calls. We'll be back tomorrow. This is Progress. Progress.